Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologia Prima Pars, question two, article three, we get the famous five ways to prove or to argue to or show God's existence to somebody who is inquiring about this. And these are all, we could say, metaphysical arguments that take their their beginning in some sort of experience that we have and then work their way backwards. And the first was based on motion, causality in general, you could say. The second zeroes in a bit more on what Thomas and other people of his time who are Aristotelians would call efficient causality. So we have to do a little bit of ground setting here. Aristotle very famously uh, distinguished four different types of causes, four answers to the question why. And so one of these is what we typically think of as cause and effect today, and that's efficient causality. That is the type of cause that produces an effect, that brings it into being. Right and Now, it could bring it into being completely, sort of like you might think about an artificer working on an artifact, right? Or parents generating their children, things along those lines, fire causing the, the piece of wood to burn and combust and turn into something else making ash, for example. But there's other types of causality at play as well, and we want to recognize them and also sort of put them aside. So there's the material cause of things. What it is that things are made of, which is an answer to why is it the way it is. You know, you think about our human body, right? There's all sorts of answers to, well, why does the blood work the way it does? What causes it to circulate as it does? And you could say, well, part of the answer is the heart pumps, right? And what causes the heart to pump? Well, the brain is sending signals to that message. But you could also say that the blood itself can flow because it's a certain kind of material. It's a liquid with all sorts of things suspended in it. And we don't have to go too far into that. This isn't a lecture about Aristotelian causality per se. But then there's also the formal cause. And very often when we're thinking about efficient causality, formal and material causes go together. So think about the famous example of the bronze statue. Bronze is the material. The statue itself has a certain form. It might be the famous statue of the archer. That's a structure that's given to it. And it's given to it, not because the bronze spontaneously forms itself, but because somebody says, I want to make this statue. I'm gonna do the work. I'm gonna efficiently, effectively cause this statue to come in being with a certain, out of a certain material with a certain form. And then there's also the final cause, the why in the sense of what for, what's the purpose, what is the goal, what is it tending towards. Now, we're focusing here in the second proof entirely on efficient causality. Aquinas says that it's ex ratione causae efficientis. So efficient causality or the efficient cause, ex ratione, out of the 
nature, the intelligible nature of efficient causality. Now, what is included in that intelligible nature? You're going to see this talked about in various subparts of this, this article, right? In the uh, second way part. And let's not begin at the very beginning. We'll come back to that in a second. One of the key ideas is that a thing cannot cause itself. He tells us we never observe in Venetur, we never run across, nor is it possible, possibile, that something would be the efficient cause of its very self. Quod aliquid sit, that something would be, causa efficiens, the efficient cause, sui ipsius. Now, that ipsius is an intensifier, and what we're looking at here is that, you know, you could say that I'm a cause of myself in some way, you know, as a professor because I chose to go to college and then graduate school and then get a job and all that. But I didn't make this thing that I am come into being. I may have modified it through decisions that I've made, actually for the better and for the worse, right? Some things are beyond my control. I'm a you know, middle-aged man, as you can tell by my beard and all of that sort of stuff. My body is slowly transforming. But, you know, I, can, I have some measure of control, whether I exercise, eat right, you know, get good sleep, those sorts of things. But I don't cause myself as a whole, as a totality. So this is a really important principle. If you've got something that is caused, what we call an effect in Latin, effectus, what has been affected, right? Causa efficiens, effectus, what the efficiens did, created. If you've got an effect, well, then it has to have something else as its cause. And we can, you know, trace this out quite a ways because something could be both a effect, but also a cause of something else. And we see things, now here's where we begin, arranged into series or orders of efficient causes. Ordinem causarum efficientium is how Aquinas says this. And he tells us that invenimus, inim in istis sensibilius. Okay, so now this is a little bit different than the first way where we did in fact begin with what is available to the senses in sensu, right? In that article here, in istis sensibilius, in those things that we can sense or do sense, right? We come across, now we don't just come across a thing, we come across an ordering of causes and effects. And, you know, this can be very, very complicated. As Thomas tells us, the middle or mediating causes can be plural, they can be singular, right? So let's take a really super, super simple example that he gave in the previous thing. So if we have a stick and the stick is in a hand, right? And the stick is used to push something. You know, let's think about billiard balls, for example. We've got a pool stick, we hit something, we put it into motion, and then it hits something else, right? These are causes. Now, we're interested primarily in causes that produce, don't just change, but produce something. And so we actually do observe this 
Thomas Aquinas says, in the sensible world. We don't just observe one thing and then another thing. We observe that the one thing comes from or is produced by the other thing. And then it is produced by something else in turn. So we've got the last thing, the effect, the ultimi, the end of the series, right? Which, which may not actually be the total end of the series, but let's say that for the purposes of this proof it is. And then we have causation, efficient causation, and the middle cause, which is both a cause and effect. He calls that the medium, right? And then we have an earlier cause, and effect, the primum in this case. And it's not the primum in the full sense, like capital P primum first that we're gonna get to eventually, but it's first in that order, right? And there's lots of things in the world that we observe partly processes and then there's other stuff going on. And here's where we start to make the move into the metaphysical. So we transfer this idea to a whole bunch of causes because we know that everything has to have causes. All the things that we can observe have causes, right? It's not possible for something to be the cause of itself. So beyond the things that we do in fact observe through our senses, there have to be other causes. And now the question that he raises in this particular way is the same as in the first way. Can the series go back to infinity? Can it procedatur in infinitum, right? Now there's a slight change of language here, but it's basically the same thing. And the answer is no, it cannot. You can't go back endlessly. And why not? Well, for the same reason, again, as in the first way. A lot of connections between these, isn't there? So why not? Well, if you don't have some sort of absolutely first efficient cause, prima causa efficiens, something to make things come into being, well, then you don't get the other things in the series. And we can, we can see this in our ordinary life. If you take away, as Thomas says, the first cause in the series, then the middle cause doesn't happen and the final effect doesn't happen right? So we're sort of extrapolating from what we see in our own experience and adding in some metaphysical principles, some assumptions that are being made, and then saying, well, there has to be a first cause because no first cause, nothing else happens. However, we do know that things happen because we see it. We experience it. We take it for granted, you might say. It's part of our very way of being in the world to note not just individual things, but the causal connections between them. So since that is the case, he concludes, well, there must in fact be a first efficient cause, prima causa efficiens. And then he has the very famous saying that everyone gives the name God to this. And notice that it's a slightly different formula, right? In the first proof, it was hoc omnes intelligent deum. Everybody understands this to be God. This is a little bit stronger. Quam omnes deum nominant. Everybody gives the name literally of God to this first cause. 
So, you know, he's concluding that this isn't everything that God is uh, for Thomas Aquinas. He's not just an efficient cause of everything through this vast chain of causality. But this is indeed something that we can say about God. And we can say, according to Thomas Aquinas, that this God, understood in this way, must of necessity exist or we wouldn't have all of these sense experiences of orders of efficient causality. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.